0: All right, how's everybody doing? Doing good? All right, some of you are, some of you aren't too sure. That's all right. <laughs> Did you give me this one? <laughs> right. I haven't seen that one since high school. Rock on! <sighs> well, it's good to to everybody here. Um, I know I've met uh, a lot of new faces. Uh, just in case I didn't say my name, my name is Todd, or if I haven't met you yet, I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, and we truly are glad that you're here visiting this morning just to, to be with us. Uh, we're going to be opening up God's Word, uh, the Bible, uh, here in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in the book of First Peter. Uh, we will uh, will be throwing the verses up on the screen for you to be able to access that, so it'll be up there. But if anybody else, if you got your Bibles, um, let's open them up. And let me just say this from the kind of the get go: one of the reasons that I think it's good for you to have your phone, your iPad, your um, your your old school ancient Bible. Um, if you guys remember those things called books that would open up and there were pages. Yeah, they were incredible. That's so old. Um, but the reason I want that is that first of all, here's what I believe. I really do believe that in, in the book of Acts, it talks about this group of people called the Bereans who are considered noble minded because they search the scriptures daily. Uh, I, I do want to always bring God's word to bear in your life, but I want you to go look for yourself. I want you to not know just what I think, but I want you to know how to think through God's word so that you can love and follow Jesus too. So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to be able to get you one or you can, you can get one uh, as an app um, um, online. So yeah, there's a little plug for that because we're going to be talking about more about God's word as we keep going through this. But where we've been in First Peter, just to kind of catch everybody up, is in chapter one, we talked about this idea that all of us in here, Peter gives us this identity of an elect exile. Now again, those two words were kinda hard to sort through because exile means that I'm someone that doesn't belong, this isn't my homeland, I'm in somebody else's homeland. But yet this word elect has a powerful reality to it in that it tells you if you are a follower of Jesus, you're one of these exiles, God chose you to be here and now. This is our time. This is the place God has placed us in this moment. So we've even talked about the fact that I've heard so many parents and I've even thought this myself. Oh, how are my kids gonna grow up in a world like this? Well, this is the exact time and place that God has designed them to grow up in. We can have a confidence in that, that our God, because he reigns and rules supreme over all things as these ones who, who don't necessarily belong in this world as it is, God has called us to this time. And what's so powerful, he didn't just call us to this time. He, he then in, in verses 3 through 12 begins to connect these dots that we've been born again to a living hope. But you know this, if, if people don't have hope, right, we collapse. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus, are you kidding me? We have hope. And it just isn't any old hope. He connects it to this idea of this group of people, right? This is old Peter talking to a group that had been in, in, in northern Turkey who had probably lost had been rejected by their families and not only been rejected by their families, but had lost their inheritance. And he says, you know what though? Your inheritance is safe and secure and it won't spoil, it won't corrupt. Your inheritance is kept in heaven for you by the God of the universe. It's okay. He even connects in this idea that even suffering, right? Because everybody suffers. Even our suffering has purpose. He's just building up this gigantic view of who God is and what does it mean now to be a part of his family, to be one of his kids, and to be engaged in what he's doing in the world. And then in verses 10 through 12, it's one of my favorite little sections we didn't get to really cover, but he just talks about these prophets that they realized they were writing that for us. Not only that, but the angels are looking into this thing going, no way, like right now, there are, and there's the angelic realm watching as God's power is being put on display in and through his church and they're looking at each other going no way this is crazy and so what he was trying to do and this is so important the the biblical writers never commanded us to do something they never asked us to do anything until they first told you do you understand who you are do you understand who God is I'm not going to command anything till you understand the significance of what it means that the God who reigns and rules over all things is your father. There is a savior and Lord who is the one who is king of kings and Lord of lords who died in your place to make you one of his very own in this good, honorable family. And all of us in this room have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us if we've believed in Jesus. And Peter's like, I'm not moving on until you get this. You're involved in the greatest thing ever. He says, no, in light of that, the first command is, he goes, well, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought then. Go ahead, do it. If God is that good and if you have that kind of inheritance then set your hope there and I was just thinking about it as I was praying for my own kids this week I've got two of them right there one's in middle school and one's in high school and I don't know if you remember high school and middle school, oh my gosh what a terrible time Oh. but if they don't learn to set their hope on Jesus Christ they will learn to set their hope on something else I want them to see the greatness and the goodness of Jesus, that they can set their hope there. And it's greater than any hope that this this world and its system, even the system of middle school, can offer them. He gives the command to, to become holy, like God is holy. The idea is to to take on his character, not that we do it, but that uh, this this willingness to join God, to take on his character, to to be transformed so that we might be able to now become the people that God's intended us to be from the very beginning, way back in Genesis one. He said, I want you to bear my image. You're special as human beings. And so what I want you to do is, is, I want you to embrace that with everything that you are. Take it on, be that. And then he says in there, this last one that's kind of sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around, but he says, conduct yourselves in fear. Again, as I was praying over my kiddos, I was like, God, I know if they fear you more than anything else, they won't fear anything. God, would you just teach them? God, I believe you've created them to fear, not fear all these things, right? I mean, we talked about that last week. That's why people climb the highest mountain, cross the widest sea. That's why they do these crazy things because I think deep within us, we know that there's, there's just this reality. We're supposed to fear something greater than ourselves and we are. The God of the universe, we are supposed to fear and if my kids, if I fear God more than anything, I won't fear other things, and so Peter just goes, look, in light of who you are, here's what we're going to do. Now everything he's doing is moving I believe towards verse 22. I think that he's he's reaching this little beautiful little peak. I don't think it's the peak of 1st Peter, but it's maybe a, a, a it's and it's not a false summit. I don't want to say it that way, but it's there's this beautiful little peak he's going to get to in this idea in which he's going to call them then if you look up there to love one another. Here's the next command. Now, here's why I think he had to go through these other three commands to get there. To love somebody, if you look at it, right? We have this idea within it, this this idea of of love, and he he connects it to these different words. But the idea is, is, is to take on the character. It's just another idea of what it means to become holy. We're gonna take on this character of God. This one is probably one of the more difficult ones, I think, that we face. To truly and authentically love. See, within it, he's going to connect it to this idea of, that we're called to be sincere. Look at that. And, and kind of when I was working through, what does it mean to be sincere? He just says, a sincere love is more than simply being nice or polite to someone. It's a love that's honest. It's authentic. It, it's, it's the real deal. It's true. There's no pretense around it. And I would even say this, it's assumed. It's assumed because in it, we have to believe that not only has God loved us, is loving us, but he will never quit loving us. That a person that truly now is able to love in this way, he says they're going to be sincere deep within them because they know they are loved so deeply. They can truly now be people that it just spills over in other people's lives. It's important that that we go back to this idea though that that we have to have set our hope. We have to have, we're working on this idea of becoming holy. We have to be this group of people that fear because all those things kind of have to be taken care of in order for us to love like we're supposed to. We need to get to that kind of love. He also calls it brotherly. A brotherly love is a familial love. It's a love that sees the one being loved as one who is like me. It's a level playing field love. In other words, we, we all now come in here, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no one of us better than the other. It does not look down on the other person. They too are a desperate kid in need of God's love like me. It comes from a great sense of seeing that we're in the same battle. And one of the people in sermon prep this week goes, It kind of sounds like a band of brothers. Now, in it, the, the author of it, Stephen Ambrose, had this statement that she sent me. She goes, Oh, you got to read this. It says, They found in combat the closest brotherhood they ever knew. They found selflessness. They found they could love one another or the other guy in their foxhole more than themselves. They found that in war, men who loved life would give their lives for them. What Peter's calling him to is this this type of love. He, He connects it also with this idea of earnest. He says in there, okay, in light of who you are and in light of the love of God towards you, I want you to have what's called it. The word literally means to stretch a love that's a constant, it never quits. It's a love that is looking to love, not for love, kind of like the song says back in the 70s looking for love in all the wrong places. I'll be in more part next week. It's an attitude <laughs> of love that doesn't wait for loving opportunities but creates them. And here's the one I loved when I was looking through this word it's an unprotected love that doesn't seek to protect myself from potential pain. I love that. It's that love that just keeps going back in knowing that in the end, we, we, we can potentially get harmed even. The last one is this, a pure heart love. A pure heart love is a love with no mixed motives. It's singular. It's a love that has a single motive of wanting the best for the one being loved in that moment. Instead of being poisonous to relationship, a pure heart love brings life. He says in there, that's the type of love I want. In 2-2, two, two, he bases it around having been purified. Now, here's what I want you to see. Oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to life with Todd. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. Everything that God has done this love that he is seeking to build within them, the love that he has called them to is come for a purpose. Now watch this. Having purified your souls, this work that happens between God and I by obedience to the the truth, that's just the idea there is just this of, of, of truly obeying the gospel. He did this for a sincere brotherly love. You were saved an aspect of it for this very purpose. You were saved to love. Not just any old kind of love. In fact, we're gonna find out and Christian's gonna take us on this journey. We were actually saved even to love enemies. Think about that. We are saved to love to such an extent that it's just absolutely nutty. Now it's not just sitting there and from a singular standpoint, you individually, actually all these different words have a Southern feel to them. Y'all, y'all are called to this. In fact, the very realm in which this is supposed to be cultivated, the very realm that we show off to the world is the realm of the church in which we're to love in this powerful in this real way so that the world looks in on us so that we learn how to love that world. He says, "I want it to start right in this very place called the church so that I can show you off to the world." And that's again what we're going to be talking about in further weeks. He's not just doing all these things because he's bored. God is doing all this, to, in fact, to show off his church to the world and the chief characteristic of what he wants to show off is love. Now let me ask you a question about this. Is love your mission? Right? That's what he says in there. This is God's mission for you to, to love in this kind of an extravagant way. So I, asked, I was talking with my wife yesterday about this, and I go, like, what do you think about that? And she goes, oh, that does not sound like a good mission. <laughs> <laughs> I, go, I go, why? I, she goes, well, don't get me wrong. It sounds so awesome. Like, I love the thought of it. I love the idealism of it. I love the idea of this group of people that just radically love each other, willing to do whatever, kind of an Acts to, you know, kind of a thing where we're sharing with one another, going, doing crazy things. She goes, but... I know for a fact, though, if I love this way, it is messy. So I'm just telling you, Todd, when you go to preach this tomorrow, just know this is hard. I mean, we kind of talked about it. It's hard to love one another in that way. Her and I, I mean, she's easy to love. I'm hard to love. I get that. But then it's like, okay, now love your kids this way. I even battle on sometimes that one, to love in that kind of way. And then I show up to here, you know, and some of you, I'll be honest with you, man, some of you are easy to love. Some of you are hard to love. I won't look at anybody, but it's just right. It's even, and you feel that way about me too, so we're even, you know, we're brotherly love. It's just hard. And we kind of started talking about like, oh, but how are we gonna do this then? I get that we're called to it. John 13, Jesus says, no, the world will know you by how you love each other. The, the whole goal, like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, is that this love that God is talking about, this, it comes from a faith and a hope, but the greatest of these is love. The, the mark of our family is that we love one another. Like the thing that Cornerstone should be known for is sure, man, they they study God's word, they make disciples, they do all these different things. I, I want that. But man, the more that I've studied this, the mark of who we should be is we just love each other. So how do we do it, right? How in the world do we love like that? Well the very next verse tells us, "You've been born again. You're different." See, when you came to know Jesus, whether you knew it or not, this idea of being born again is we took on a new DNA. We took on new genetics. And the genetics came from, if you look in there, this word of God that he, he compares to this imperishable seed. I don't know the last time you, you ever held a seed in your hand, but a seed is kind of this thing that's like, oh, who cares, right? You look down at it, and it's like, oh, well, whatever. But I remember looking at this seed when my youngest daughter was wanting to plant a garden. And here's how my mind works, though, this, my, my, my kind of science mind. Inside of that tiny little seed was the blueprint for all the genetics of everything that that plant needed—a roadmap of what it would become. I mean, in it, it was going to say how tall it was, how wide its leaves spread. It, it, it was going to tell what it was going to be. In this particular case, I was—I was looking down at, I think, carrots. I think at that particular moment, I'm looking at a carrot seed, and my mind's just going, "No way!" And we're gonna put this little thing in the ground, we're gonna water it and care for it, and all of a sudden, up through the ground, right, it's gonna come carrots, and then Bugs Bunny's gonna be in our yard, and it's gonna be awesome, and, right? But with just this thought in which no way. I just was thinking about the science of it, thinking, this is incredible. Now, what he wants us to do with the Word of God, and again, if you just look down at your Bible, He says, this word has the genetic material that the day that you understood and the Holy Spirit allowed you to believe, your spiritual DNA got changed. You got made different. Everything about you changed. Now all of a sudden what was going to start to happen is that very thing inside of you that we want to become is now actually going to be possible. That's that's Paul's point in Ephesians 2 when he says you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you can't be the person God intends you to be. Like anybody that's sitting here right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I know deep within you, you have a longing to be a human that, that is, is striving after the right things. And I'll just tell you this, you will never truly become the person that God has intended you to be until you understand the truth of the gospel, the word that he's speaking about here, and you embrace it and believe it and obey Jesus Christ. And then I promise you that seed enters into you and you will begin to be changed. Like, when's the last time, honestly, you looked back at the day that finally the gospel made sense and you thought, oh my goodness, that seed came in me and I got be made completely different. He says in there, it's this, it's this word, this good news that was preached to you. It was a, it was a word that it was so full that, that in this, in First Peter, when he's referencing back to the Old Testament, kind of coming at this, he's saying it is enduring. It's, it lasts forever. It abides. It's the very thing that God intends to transform you. When the Spirit of God and the Word of God hits you, you will never be the same. That's why, man, in the back of my head, I'm just sitting there going, man, Cornerstone must be a people of the book. Our kids must be kids of the book. Know the book, love the book. Why? Because it's the book that changes us. Everything about it, Peter says, that day you believed, you can love in this way. You can do this. Now, this is so important because this love now, he's about to stretch, like I said, into the world in which we live. Oh, I can't love that way. I mean, my gosh, I've been watching Fox News. Do you understand how bad the Democrats are? (laughs) Or I've been watching CNN. Do you understand how bad the Republicans, do you understand, you don't know my wife, you you don't know my kids, you don't know all those different things, right? As we begin to stretch it out, and I think Peter again is gonna keep bouncing back to this saying, yeah, but you've been born again. You can do this. You can love the unlovable child. You can can love the unlovable spouse. You You can love those people that are difficult, not because you can do it, but because your genetic material has been changed and it will allow you to do it. You can do it, but okay, great, how? Well, what he's gonna do next, he's gonna tell us the very thing, the very same word that got genetically implanted into us that transformed us and made us new is the very same word that we need to continue to be babies and long after. I love that word. It just means, if you can imagine for just a little bit, a little baby, um, my wife and I had a lot of little babies and, and I'll be honest, she wishes we could have babies again and I'm really glad we don't have babies anymore for a time because man, when those little babies are hungry, what do they do? Ooh, red-faced, right? Until that bottle gets into their mouth, they are just, Aah! they, and here's what it is, they long for the bottle. See, I think we as Christians, when we see God's word, we should be like little babies that we cry and moan until the word gets in front of us and we get to consume it like a baby does milk. We're created for it. He talks about it being the pure spiritual milk and the ideas there of the word. He's connecting a long thought that he kind of works it through there. But he says in there, that's how we grow up into our salvation. That's how we become the people God intends us to be. God's word is is all of us now, and again, whether it's spoken to us, taught to us, uh, read, whatever it might be, as we engage within it, God's people just grow. That's why we we tell you, spend time in your Bibles and spend time hearing God's word, uh, listen to different things. The more that we begin to capture this, but here's the key thing, the more then that we begin to live it, because we have to practice it, here's the term, you begin to grow up. But there's a key here to it though is that you have to be careful of. It's in verse one. Now you know this, if I'm holding a little baby, right? I've got this little baby. Um, We we had a lot of little ones that came through our house and and a lot of them were, in fact, I think most of them had a a past of being born addicted to some drug. And I I can't remember, is Lisa here? Where's she at? If she's not, I'm gonna feel really bad. Was it meth? Is that the one they don't like to eat? sure. Just go with your illustration, Todd. I think it was meth. But literally, you'd have to wake them up. You'd have to force them to eat. Why? Because they weren't well. They were sick. Now, what Peter's going to say is, is there's a way for a church to get sick. Well, how is a church get sick? Well, he says in there that a church gets sick, and that's why we need to put it away when we have all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander within us. The idea then of malice is is just this idea, this willingness to just do evil to the extent in which you are just angry at that other person and you're gonna harm them. One day I I came outside and I'm watching and one of my children had been pestering one of my other children and the child that had been pestered, all of a sudden I saw that child and just fire came into them. And that child grabbed a big stick (laughs) with the intention of destroying the child that had been pestering him. Now, part of my thought's like, well, that kid deserves it. (laughs) It's called natural consequences, but then I thought I should parent. (laughs) And I screamed at that child. That child looked at me with fire in that child's eyes. That child had malice, just deep anger. Let me just say this. One of the quickest ways to kill our hunger for Jesus Christ, one of the quickest ways to kill a church's hunger for Jesus is a church that is angry. We can't be angry. I mean, I just watched me, myself, I watched so many others that this last 15 months, we've just been angry. We've been angry about this and angry about that. I mean, it's bad enough. We live in Southern California. But his whole point is, is a church that is angry does not want God's word. We're sick. Not only that, but he, he has this idea of, of deceit. Deceit carries with it this, this concept in which you are pretending to want the best for the other person. You're, wanting, you're pretending like you want them to flourish when all along you're using them for your own flourishing. You're you're taking them along for a ride, going, oh no, I want the best for you, I want the best for you, and then you get to the very end, you do the switcheroo, and they start to realize it's just for you. It's the church that sits there and screams, you know, that no, we want the best for you, we want the best for you, and all the while, though, we keep saying, our wants, our needs, our desires. Church, we have everything that we need. We have everything. We don't need to deceive the world. We don't have to play games with them. Now that we have set our hope fully on the grace to be brought, now that we're a group of people that truly are are becoming holy, that they are ones that are are now living in this way of fear, the ones that now understand this world and that we live in, that God is in control of, we don't have to be deceptive to try to get what we want. We have everything. Hypocrisy, we kind of know that one. Envy, we understand that, wanting what others want. Slander, man, I'll tell you what, the last 15 months have been loaded with slander, the way that we have just got after all these different things. It's the eroding of another person's character for your own benefit. Peter says, if that's the road you go down, you're not gonna want God's word. And if you don't want God's word, you're never gonna grow up into the love that you're intended to have. I just just think if we're honest with ourselves for just a second, probably somewhere in that list you can find yourself. (laughs) And maybe you find yourself like me with more than one of those. Oh, over these last 15 months, I never thought I was an angry person. I have found I'm an angry person. Like, if you don't believe me, go take a ride with me on the 405. (laughs) Oh. It quenches our longing for God's word. See, in it, what I think the church needs more than anything, Cornerstone, you and me, is just an acknowledgement of a standing before the Lord and going, you know, Lord, I've engaged in things that have not only quenched my thirst for God's word, but have quenched the thirst of others. I've complained behind people's backs about this and about that. I've ranted and raved about political issues I'm the kind of person that's demanding my wants. I want it my way. I think I have it right. I think I know what's going on. If anybody would just listen to me. God, you know what? Forgive me. Forgive me, Father. I've manipulated my spouse, making my spouse think one thing and only wanting another. Oh, Father, man, I've been all over my kids, driving them up the wall. And I promise you, as you begin to deal with that stuff, you will long for God's word. And as you long for God's word, you will find yourself growing up in the very thing God intends. You will love. If you really want to love, if you really want to be that person that Paul talks about, that's pure, that's unadulterated, that that truly is this love that is encapsulated in the person of Jesus, I think it begins with repentance and understanding that we've been going the wrong way turning and going the other way and just nourishing yourself on God's word. And even we're gonna finish here at the very end, we're just giving everybody an opportunity. Father, just examine my heart. Is there anything in me that's keeping me from loving you? But here's the last thing. He says, you're gonna do this if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I love that. It comes from Psalm 34, 8, this idea of taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you really, really want to begin to nourish yourself to be a person that loves? Then you will never love until you believe that God is good. Not only the initial part of it, the initial aspect of us going, oh, wow, our God is good. He, he, He loves me. He cares for me. He he is the creator of all things, and yet all of that power of who he is is brought into a tender relationship with me as my very father that I might be the person that God intends me to be. The very spouse that you have is of the goodness of God. The children that you have, even though it may not feel like it on certain days, are the exact goodness of God to you the place we live, the time we live, every aspect of your life is an absolute gift from a good father that loves you and adores you. But you will never long for him. You will never grow into this love that he's talking about until you believe this God is good. So that's the next question I have for you. Do you believe God's good? Do you, honestly? See, if you believe God's good, you won't complain about all the junk anymore. Now we're going to, right? Even though we don't mean to. But we complain because we don't believe God is good. We get caught up in all these different things because we don't believe God is good. We, we, we have to, as, as God's people working together, one of the best things that we can do for one another is just begin to nourish one another that God is good, we don't have to complain with each other and you know, and begin to wrangle with each other. We just have to come in with a reminder of the goodness of who God is in this world. Not only is he good now, but I promise you, he is even good into the future. He will never quit being good. Our kids need to know that. Let me, let me just talk to you, those of you that are high school and middle school students in here. Like just, just listen to me for just a second. This world is gonna be telling you that it is good and go get your good stuff. Go after with everything that you are. You're gonna have friends that are gonna to convey to you that there's, this is good and that is good. But I promise you, once you have truly tasted that the Lord is good, once you truly understand how amazing he is, you won't want anything else. Don't settle for the crumbs that are thrown from the table of the world as it is when you have God who is offering you a banquet of his goodness. And once you have tasted how good that God is, oh, you will go and you will soak up God's word because you find God in there. Don't settle for anything less. So here's how I want to finish. I'm gonna bring the band up and we're just gonna slow down for just a second. I've tried to leave plenty of time, so don't worry, you don't have to be in a hurry. I want you to just ask basically two questions. The first question has is, do you believe that your mission is given to you, is to, to go in love like Christ has called us to love? That powerful way that we were referencing. And then the question is, do you? The second question I want you to ask is, God, is there just anything in me that's keeping me from going to your word that will cause me to grow up into the love that you've called me to? Father, is there just anything? Father, is there gossip that I've been doing in my life? Is there complaining that I've been doing in my life? Is there all these different things? Are there others that are engaging in it with me? Father, forgive me. And then I would say this, go to the people that you've talked with and said, we need to stop this because I want us to crave and long for God's word. And I know we will never crave and long for God's word as long as we stay in this kind of talk and gossip and different things. So is there anything in you? And you know what? There's a third thing. Let me just throw this out. Do you believe God's good? Like, honestly, honestly, Like, do you believe he's good? For those of you that don't know Jesus Christ, I know maybe that's even the question in the back of your head. If I follow this God who reigns and rules over all things, is he really good? And I'm just here to tell you, he is good. So the band will just play for a little bit. The time is yours. If anybody wants prayer right now because you're struggling, loving, you're, you've been finding yourself maybe in sin, anything, I'll be up here. I'd be happy to pray for you. There's elders over here. I know they'd be happy to pray for you. But the next few minutes, it's all yours. Just enjoy it. And let me just say this last thing because I haven't said this to you in a while. I love y'all. Oh gosh, do I love you? This week, as I was praying for Cornerstone, so many of your faces came to my mind. You're my family. You're the ones that I wanna walk with and be with. And I want that for this church. I think Peter's telling this group that was just hurting, let's not play. Like, let's go do this. Let's get after it. And the place it begins, let's love one another earnestly from a pure, pure heart. So, Father, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I give each and every person to you. Father, would you teach us as a group of people to love earnestly with a pure heart? Father, would you teach us, teach us to put away things like malice and hypocrisy and all that stuff so that we truly might be babies that just long for your pure spiritual milk, that by it we might grow into the people that you intend us to be. And Father, every one of us in here that know you, you've shown us you are good. Father, we believe you wanna keep showing us you're good. May Cornerstone be a church that believes it wholeheartedly. You are God, our good. And I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.